Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Well, we're tracking today with the Apostle John as he walks with Jesus. Uh, We're in part three of a series called Signs, uh, where we're following along John in the Gospel of John as he journeys and makes this um, following of Jesus. And here's what we discover about John. John didn't follow Jesus because of wishful thinking. Or, or we might say it this way, John didn't follow Jesus because of faith. John followed Jesus because of what he saw and what he heard. And in fact, in a letter uh, that we call 1 John, he puts it this way in 1 John chapter 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. You see, John is is telling us, hey, I want you to understand, this isn't something that I heard about from my second cousin uh, by marriage, once removed, best friend's brother uh, who lived down the street from this one guy. Right? No, he's saying, look, look, we've heard him. We saw him with our eyes. We looked at him. Our hands, actually, I touched the man. My hands touched him. I've seen him. I've heard him speak. And then he goes on and he says, the life appeared. And, and it's just, he, it's, like, it's like John is struggling in how to put to words the experience that he had with Jesus. He, it's like he's saying, um, Any place that he walked into, it was like life just appeared right there. And he says, we have seen it. We've seen the life appearing, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have. Again, look at this. We proclaim not what so-and-so told us about, not what Uncle Jimmy uh, told us bedtime. No, no, no. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. But John isn't just telling us what happened. No, no. John isn't content to just tell us, hey, here's what happened. He wants us to know why it happened. He says, what we've seen and heard so that you also may have, and look at this word, fellowship with us. You see, John has an agenda in in putting together his gospel, in writing these letters. He has a purpose. John wants you to believe just like he believes. So that's why he's sharing what he saw and what he heard. And it's what he saw and what he heard that brought him to the place of faith, to the place of belief where he would trust his life to Jesus. And so in the Gospel of John, he organizes uh, the story of Jesus around seven events. We would call them signs. Seven signs that point to the identity of Jesus Christ. Seven signs that reveal his glory. And John will say in chapter 1, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, previously in this series, Signs, we've seen Jesus do two miracles in and around the town of Cana. The first one was when Jesus turned the water into wine. 
And then last week, we looked at Jesus healing a dying, a dying boy, a dying son, without ever seeing him. Jesus never physically touched him. He just spoke the word, and the boy was instantaneously, miraculously healed. And then now Jesus is, is after that, he's heading back to Jerusalem, and, and that's where we pick up the story. It says this in John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, we don't know which festival uh, he's going to, but what we know is that he leaves Galilee and he's heading to Jerusalem. And the second verse goes on and says, now there is in Jerusalem. Now, that's just important to know because John is writing about something that he actually witnessed. This, isn't, this didn't come to us centuries down the road because centuries down the road, this would have been destroyed. This would have been uh, completely leveled and, and, and gone. But, but John is writing in a time where this is not was. So there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. And then he goes on, he says, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. It's, the, it's, it's a list, it's a who's who's list of the most desperate people in and around Jerusalem. It's where all of the sick people, it's not just the sick people, it's where all of the sick and poor people would have gathered. You see, in Jesus's day, the sick people had few options. If you were poor and sick, you had, a, you had just a few options because only the rich had access to doctors. The poor people didn't have access to doctors. They had access to temples and superstition or myths. And then what we see in verse four, and, and if you're following along in your Bible, the reason that some of your Bibles will leave out verse four and put a little asterisk there is because there was this um, myth or legend that an angel would disturb the water and the first one who would get into the water would be healed. But the reason the Bible, that verse isn't in your um in, in your translation probably is because in a lot of the older manuscripts that we have of the Gospel of John, it's, it's not there. And so it's kind of like, it's, it's like a, a little um, footnote, really, that uh, gets, gets included in there. So uh, that's why there's an asterisk in there, just in case you're wondering. But here's the thing. Healthy people would have avoided this. Healthy people would have avoided this like the plague because this is the place of the plague. Like this is the place where all the sick people are going. And then there is this one guy who's been sick for 38 years. Look what John says. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Maybe not all of his life, but definitely most of his life. He's just, he's been laying there waiting on somebody to do something to help him find healing. Now, what's interesting, of course, just kind of a side note, is in John chapter 2, Jesus turns ceremonial water into something better, into wine. 
In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman by a well, and he offers her living water instead of the well water that she was about to draw out. And then here in chapter 5 is another story about someone needing access to water who can't get to it. It's just, it's like John is trying to get us to pay attention to the story that he's writing. And so here you have all of these people gathered around this pool, and there's this man who's been there for 38 years. And then John says, when Jesus saw him, and that's so important because how many people had overlooked this guy? He's been there for 38 years. Nobody's paying attention to him. The Pharisees aren't calling him. Nobody's texting him. Nobody's checking in on him, see how he's, no, no, no. Nobody else sees him because he's been there so long in that situation. But Jesus sees him, and Jesus learns that he had been in this condition for a long time. And then Jesus asks him an interesting question. It's like Jesus sees this man laying there by the pool. He discovers he's been there for 38 years, and it's like this, uh, Jesus makes this decision it's time for another sign. I'm going to do another sign because I'm going to reveal my glory. And so Jesus asked them this question. He says, do you want to get well? Now, that is a loaded question. That is absolutely a loaded question because here's the deal. Not everybody wants to get well. If, if you're just joining us here, we're in the middle of a series called Signs, where we're working through the Gospel of John, and this is the third sign in the Gospel of John, the third miracle healing story that we see in the Gospel. And Jesus asks this audacious question of a guy who's been laying paralyzed for 38 years. Do you even want, do you have a desire? Because here's what Jesus knows about all of us human human beings, is that sometimes getting well is harder than staying sick. Because, and, and I don't want to try to, I'm not victim shaming, anything like that, but there are those of us, come on, you're, you're watching this with me wherever you're at on your couch or in your car or listening to this on a podcast. There are those of us, you know them, you've been this person too, where getting well means you have to deal with some stuff. Where getting well means that you've got to have some hard conversations, some awkward conversations. Getting well might mean that you don't get to lay there while, while other people bring you food, but now you've got to work for food. So Jesus asked, like, hey, hey bro, like, do you actually want to get well? Because Jesus isn't the kind of guy who's going to impose his will on you and me. So he asks first, do you want to get well? And so the guy replies, he says, sir, I have, look what he says, I have no one to help me. I'm, I'm so helpless, Jesus, I have no one to help me. Into the pool when the water gets stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Can you imagine the chaos that would have just been surrounding this pool? Like all of these people are waiting on, on the, the water to bubble and they're waiting, and as soon as it happens, you would just see this mass just attempt to get into the pool first. Just some people, maybe family members, shoving other people into the, It's like a crazy redneck family reunion when, when grandma's got a pool. 
You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, it's just chaos, and throngs would have been gathered there. The desperate, the, the, the disappointed, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, all gathered around. And as soon as a little, a little disturbance happens in the water, they all dive in or get pushed in or something. And so Jesus leans in, and, and he says to this man what probably nobody else could hear. He just kind of leans in, and he says to him, get up. Wake up. Sometimes you'll see this translated, translated rise up or, or come to life. It's a, it's a word, and here's the really cool thing. This get up, it evokes images of resurrection. It's the same, it comes from the same word that, that we use when we talk about resurrection. So again, we have to understand this story is about another story. It's all connected because it's revealing the identity of Jesus Christ. And so he says, get up. And then he says, he says this, he says, pick up your mat and walk. And we're going to discover like that is, that is a huge command. He, he, so, so this guy, he, he says, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. He, he just did it. Like, so this guy has some level of, of like, confidence in, in who this guy is that he's just going to give it a try. He's going he's to take a shot, and, and he takes it, and he, and he discovers that he can now walk. But then when he turns around and he looks, Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But what had happened was more than just a miracle it was a sign because in one word, in this word, get up, pick up your mat and walk, Jesus smacked the hornet's nest and stirred up a whole bunch of trouble because, look at this, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so what happens next is the Jewish officials, you know, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who have all of these rules and regulations about the Sabbath, they get worked up, man. Like they get all stirred up. And, and, and it goes on. It says, so Jesus tells him uh, all that. And the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Well, the truth is it actually didn't forbid him to carry his mat. The law didn't forbid it. Their tradition and interpretation of the law forbid him to carry his mat. You see, the Pharisees had 39 different categories of work that was forbidden. Not 39 different types of, like 39 different um, actions of work, 39 categories of work that was forbidden. So they had this one category where, where it might sound ridiculous, but you weren't allowed to carry a load from one location to another, whether it was a mat, whether it was a, a sack of, of, of wheat, it, it, nothing. You couldn't carry something from one place to another because that was considered work. And so they had all of these regulations, all of these laws and rules to make sure that you didn't accidentally break the law. They had laws to make sure you didn't break laws. And that might sound ridiculous, but listen, we do this all the time. How many of us have taken an application of Scripture and we've made it paramount, we've made it more important than the actual Scripture that we were trying to apply? 
We read something and God, the Holy Spirit, speaks something to us and then we apply our conviction on somebody else and we judge them and we ridicule them because they don't line up with our interpretation or our application of the Bible passage. Because here's the thing, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, what, what the law says is just to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Point being, take a break from your labor, but don't take a break from love. Take a break, like, take a break from your profession, but don't take a break from compassion. They had, they had laws that you couldn't, you couldn't heal somebody. Like a doctor couldn't perform a doctor's work on the Sabbath because that was work. And so Jesus comes and he just, he breaks all of that up because that's what happens when religious people forget the why behind the what. That's what happens when you and me, in our well-meaningness and our, in our attempt to try to, you know, be, be holy, be right, live for God, that's what happens when we ignore the compassion behind the commandment. And just to get on your nerves, because I haven't had a chance to do that physically in a while, this is what happens when people defend a theological system this is what happens when we defend a political agenda. And let me just kind of scratch even further beneath this. This is, this is what happens when we defend party loyalty over compassion. This is what happens when those things take precedence over the people we claim Jesus has sent us here to serve. And, and this is what happens when we forget why we exist. In this moment, in this uh, coronavirus moment, right? Like, come on, if, you're, if you just kind of joined us uh, on, this, on this live stream, uh, we're here online because we're, we can't be together physically. Welcome, we're glad you're here. But uh, in this moment, it's real easy to forget the why behind church, Come on, if you call yourself, like if, you, if Vertical Church is your home church, here's what's tempting for us to do. It's, it's, it's tempting for us to uh, confuse that the, the purpose of our church with rallying a crowd together. And it's easy for us to forget that the purpose of our church isn't to fill a building or to be together physically. The purpose of our church is to lead people to pursue the presence of God. And when we forget the purpose, it's incredibly difficult to recognize that we're being like these Pharisees. Because here's the deal. When I went through that list of right, like theological, um, uh, theological um, systems and political agendas and party loyalties, you were thinking about your neighbor down the street who doesn't believe like you believe? Right, You were thinking, like, if you're a Republican, you were thinking about the Democrats. If you're a Democrat, you're thinking about the Republicans. If you're a Libertarian, we don't know what you're thinking about. But anyway, um, it's so difficult to recognize, but, but it's not difficult to, to see it in your life when you know what to look for. And, and here's what to look for. When, when what's best for people is no longer what's most important to you, 
you're not on God's side anymore. Let me say that again. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. When what's best for people is no longer what's most important to you, then you find yourself at odds with God. Well, how can you say that, Pastor Josh? Because John in chapter 3, verse 16, is going to tell us, he says, for God so loved those people, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. What was, what was best for people was most important to him. So the story keeps on going, right? The Jewish leader said to the man, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But then look at, look at this guy, look at what he replies. He says, the man who made me well, that guy, I can't find him now, but, but that guy, he told me to pick up my mat and walk. And listen, I, I love you Pharisees, but y'all haven't talked to me in 38 years. Like y'all didn't, you, you didn't come by, you shunned me, you ignored me. So I, you said I didn't deserve your attention. You said I didn't deserve to go to the temple because I couldn't walk myself there. So I'm just going to obey what the man who told me to get up told me to do. I'm just going to obey him. He, he, he said he told me to get up, so uh, I'm, I'm just going to do what he said. And so what they do is they ask him. They say, well, who is this guy? Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? But the guy doesn't know. He says, says, the man who was healed had no idea who it was. I love that. Like Jesus is like doing doing like um, subtle, under the radar miracles that point to his, his identity. And it says, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Jesus had just kind of made his way through the crowd. And it says, it says later that Jesus found, finds this guy at the temple, which, by the way, he had never been able to go to the temple in 38 years. And the first place he wants to go is the place that's synonymous with the presence of God when he gets better. I think that's really cool. It says, Jesus says to him, see, you are well again. Now, this next part has, has confounded Bible scholars and commentators for, for years, and I think it's because we're looking too much into this statement. I, because later, John is going to tell us about a story of somebody who needs to be healed, and the disciples are like, well, who sinned, his mom or dad? Or, so, because they had this idea that if you were blind or lame, something like that, something bad happened to you, it's because somebody had sinned. And Jesus is like, nobody sinned. It's just this is because to reveal the glory of God. And, and so... We have to keep that in mind. And I think what's happening here, I think Jesus is letting us in on a bit of his sarcastic sense of humor. Because here's what I think is happening. So Jesus says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. You better stop carrying that mat around, you sinner. Come on, this guy hasn't been able to walk for 38 years. He hasn't been able to do anything. He's just now getting his legs under him. I, that, I hope you laughed at that because I've worked all week on that one joke. This guy hasn't done anything in 38 years. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, stop sinning. Because right, the Pharisees were like, what are you doing sinning, picking up your mat and walking? He says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Well, what's the worst? Like the religious leaders might punish you. I think Jesus is, is like, 
sarcastically getting at something that we all need to realize that that when you when you um, when you are afraid of religious people, you live with this fear that you're going to constantly mess up. How do you how do you punish a man who's been who's been paralyzed for 38 years? How do you punish him? What are you going to do to him that's worse than the 38 years of torture that he's just lived through? And so this guy, he doesn't care because he's, he was once bound up by all this guilt and now he's been free. Because when you recognize who Jesus is, you lose your fear of religion and religious people. And some of you watching this today, if you're, if you're just clicked on to join us or you've been with us for the last five minutes, we're in this series called Signs. And this is week three. And we're seeing how Jesus not only healed a paralyzed guy, but he broke us free from, from a religious uh, tradition that would bind us up in guilt. And, and some of you have horror stories from childhood that you just live in fear of. But when you recognize who Jesus is, you lose your fear. When you choose to follow Jesus, religious fear loses its grip on you. You're not worried about getting all the boxes checked, and you're not worried, are you going to make God mad today? You're living in the freedom and the joy that comes from having a relationship with Jesus. Well, the man the man went away and he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So he goes and he testifies, he tells his story about the healing that he just received. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, look what Jesus says, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. In other words, Jesus says, hey, God doesn't take a day off. By your definition, God violates the Sabbath. So, here's, so Jesus says, like father, like son. Well, for this reason, it says they tried to all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. In other words, they, they're like looking at Jesus saying, well, who do you think you are? Do you think you're God? And Jesus says, yeah, <laughs> that's what I've been saying. That's what I've been teaching. That's what I've been preaching. That's what all the miracles have been about. That's what all the signs have been pointing to, this identity that I am equal with God because I am the Word made flesh. And so Jesus gives them this answer. He says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do, this is so important, what he sees his father doing. John tells us he saw what Jesus did. Jesus tells us he saw what the father was doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. In other words, Jesus says, hey, you want to know what God is really like? You want to know what God would actually say in a situation? Do you want to know what God would actually do? Watch me. Follow me. Look at me. I'm, I am, what I'm doing is only because it's what the Father 
is doing. And so a few verses later, Jesus wraps up the whole conversation. And he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me have life. Jesus says, you're opting for your interpretation over a living demonstration of the word made flesh. I'm, Jesus, it's like he's waving his hands. Hey, hey, I'm standing right in front of you. I'm here. You don't have to guess anymore. You don't have to wonder what God is like anymore. Watch what I do. Listen to what I say. Follow me and you'll discover everything you need to know about God the Father. Everything. Jesus says everything in all of the Old Testament, all of those prophecies, all of that, it pointed to me. It pointed to me. In other words, Jesus says, you're looking, you're looking for a sign. Here's your sign. Here's your sign. Me. All of it pointed to me. And that's why the Gospels, as we wrap up today, that's why the Gospels are so important. Because in a world of competing ideologies, in a world of a hundred different views and opinions and all of them broadcast for everybody to read and see on Facebook, political opinions, moral opinions, religious opinions, sometimes it can be difficult to figure out what you're supposed to believe. And sometimes it can be difficult to figure out what side of the aisle you're supposed to sit on and what, what side of a of a, of a discussion you're supposed to take? What side would God take? And God made it incredibly simple. He showed up, he spoke up, and he was clear. You may not always know what to believe or who to believe or which opinion to take, but because of Jesus, because of, because of John's story and in, in, in the signs that he put together, we almost always know what love requires of us. So let me, let me, let me, let's take this a step forward in, in your life. Let's, let's ask some questions of ourselves. Does your version of religion or politics, does it get in the way of loving people that God loves? Does your version, let's, let's take it a step further. For those of you who consider yourself followers of Jesus, does your version of Christianity, does it get in the way of loving people that God loves? If so, wrong version. If so, you're at odds with God. Because, because God showed up. Jesus showed up. This is why he became one of us. Again, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, his one and only son, to show us how to live, to show us how the Father loves, to show us how to love. And then he died. He died, and here's the crazy thing. He came to show us all of those things, and then he died to pay the price for all the times we don't get it right. All the times we mess up, and all the times that we, that, that we get it wrong. He, he paid the penalty himself for you and me. And then his follower John put it all in a book called The Gospel of John. And he said, hey, there are these seven signs that point to the identity of this man named Jesus. 
I think you should follow him. I'm going to tell you my story of what I heard and what I saw that brought me to a place of belief and trust in him. And I think if you'll hear me out, you'll come to a place where you trust him like I have. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here in this online space today. And Lord, I just pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl who's joining us here, watching this, participating in this message today. God, I pray that as they, as they take this and begin applying it to their life, Lord, if they discover that there's some form of, of their opinions and, and political doctrine or, or religious jargon that puts them at odds, that, that, that creates a stumbling block for them to love the people that you came to love. Lord, would you, we don't have to wallow around in the guilt of that. Would you just show us, Holy Spirit, point that out so that we can repent and go a different direction. We love you today. Help us follow you closer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.